Greetings, folks. Welcome to the show. This is episode 003 of the podcast. I'm here with my oldest brother, Carlos Emezquim. How you doing? Good. Awesome. So I wanted to start off by talking about religion. So we both grew up Catholic, and I feel like we both kind of branched out from it. Um, and we've all, we've, we've each kind of found our meaning of life, I guess. What was your kind of transition into secularism? So when did it begin? Really early on, if that's your question. I think it started when I was just sitting in church. Everybody's chanting the same Latin phrases that I kind of felt a little, little weird, I guess. People just, I don't know, why are we all sitting down in this one room with this guy in robes telling us these stories out of a book that was written who knows how long ago by who knows how many different people. What's the purpose of this? And I think it just became really repetitive. And I noticed how unconstructive the time was. I think that's when I was just questioning what the entire organized aspect of it was for. And then from there, I actually convinced my parents to stop going to church and do more family things. That's when we started going to like movies and stuff like that. Instead of going to church on Sundays, we started just hanging out more and Go doing movies. fun stuff. Yeah. So from then, I think from there is when we finally kind of broke away from going to church. I think as far as breaking away from religion, probably, I think I always really wanted to like believe, but I never, I think I always tried to find a reason or any kind of evidence for why believing would be a good thing or why it's a meaningful thing, but I never found any of that. It's kind of like you want to be <clears throat> pertain to that group. Right? Yeah, you want to belong, but it's, I mean, I don't want to belong to something just because belonging is cool. Yeah, that, that's crazy. There's like a deep yearning be in the group definitely like a almost it's an evolutionary thing right like, it's like you, sports you you like want to be, to be part of a team absolutely um so i would say you that's that, that's something we adapted to feel like that's kind of going into loneliness which is an emotion that humans developed yeah. to to kind of notify us when we're behaving in a way that is detrimental to our genes like detrimental to you you could if you aren't a belong right. if you don't belong to a specific group you could very well die if something were to occur in the environment well like let's say it was war suddenly and you're the odd man out if something happens and they need to cut somebody loose you're gonna you're gonna be the one they cut loose you know so i feel like if you feel like ostracized and you feel that feeling of loneliness it's your body and your mind telling you hey man get in the group like you're part of this you need to be here with everybody right because the people that didn't do that were the ones that didn't get receive that support from the community and died out because they were on their own. The right. lone wolf never survives. It's the pack. Absolutely. That that was um that was something we adapted based on evolutionary pressures, right? Definitely. So one thought I had was like <clears throat> loneliness is just one of the many emotions that we humans feel. Um and the, all of our emotions are evolution evolutionary adaptations that are based on terrestrial environmental pressures. So how could Emotions differ in some environments that are completely distinct to ours. How can emotions differ in environments that are completely distinct from ours? So, like, let's say you lived in the desert. How would your emotions... Maybe more, more take it a little step further, like a different, like an alien life form on a oh, different gotcha. planet. Well, I guess, well, I think emotions have always kind of a dumbfounded scientists. We don't really know how it came about, right? Was it because, it was, is it maybe just a result of... Uh, a bigger frontal cortex and uh, more nerves communicating. We don't really know. Like, did the, did the impulse come first? And so those emotions eventually had to somehow exert action, right? Emotions are useless if they don't s cause some kind of nerve change. impulse. Yeah, some kind of change in your environment. So at what point did that happen? Like, did the impulse come first and along came the emotions? Or did the emotions come first and then eventually push themselves into like instinct and you know you know what i mean yeah like if if the emotions did come first how did they make the jump from just an emotion to actually causing physical reactions in an individual fear like, for example okay like crying yeah like crying so it like an animal that's running away from a predator would the running away come first or, or would the fear come first, right? I would think the running away comes first because in order for those uh, things to survive in the first place, not all, 
I don't think the first life forms had emotions. Definitely not. I mean, animals nowadays, dogs, cats have emotions, humans, obviously. But if you go back far enough, germs don't have emotions. So first, you need to have the fear. Not Sorry, not the, the fear. The fight or you flight. You need to have the, the fight or flight mechanism not attached to any emotion. And then the emotion must have come in there to kind of uh, instill like an instinct in humans or animals in general that I guess maybe... Uh, I guess maybe it just made that fight or flight more efficient, maybe. It kind of primed your nervous system to be prepared for that right. fight or flight. I don't know. It's a tough question. It's pretty cool, though, to yeah. think about what came first. Obviously, I think the action came first. But at what point did the emotions become attached to an action? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I feel like either way, it is trying to change your behavior to survive in an environment. But emotions are just um, like another layer. It's just an, a deeper way to interact with your environment. Like those microbes at the beginning, they were, they maybe had like a, a light sensor in their, in their uh, organism that allowed them to like see, okay, light, that means warmth and energy. I'm going to go there. And then eventually that developed into a full-fledged eye, which is a more complex way to interact with the environment. And then at one point in the timeline, came emotions and this this entire um uh, topic where um what benefit could those emotions have if if we already had that like okay fight or flight instinct or those primed instincts to i think it's a more complex survival mechanism if anything because fight or flight is very different than feeling ostracized from a group like fight or flight isn't going to save you from being the odd man out in a situation like we were describing right that's not really what fight or flight is for. It doesn't take into account the really deep complexities of being an animal. It takes into account, like, I need to survive right now in this moment, run or fight. And so I think emo- uh, emotions give another layer to that where you're actually able to assess your position in a group or a position in your environment that is much more nuanced than basic fight or flight. Basically, like, just uh, fight or run, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it, it allows you to, it's almost like a, like an alert system instead of just being a reaction or an instinct. It's like if you do feel lonely and you do feel that ostracization from a group, that's a warning system in your own, maybe it's your ego. I don't know what you could call it. I guess your own, is that the, what's that one? The emotional center of your brain, the amygdala, I guess. Your but limbic that's more, system. Isn't that, I think your limbic, limbic system, system is emotional. Well, uh, where was it going? You're kind this? of alerting that. Yeah, so it's it's basically like an alert system. Certain emotions are tied to very different instances and, and situations. So anxiety can be like a new uh, situation where you have heightened stimulation because you've never been exposed to this before. So your system's telling you, hey, be awake. We've never seen this before. Dilate your pupils. Anything could happen. Yeah. yeah. But I think... Uh, yeah, each emotion came in to effect when life became more complex than simple fight or flight. Right. It's a more, much more dynamic way of approaching For sure. a, a, an issue. So yeah. speaking about that anxiety thing, I think right now in our society, one is- major issue that we have is rampant anxiety and depression. Um, so as we said, the, that, that anxiety mechanism, it was an evolved thing. It was like, okay... This is a potentially dangerous situation for yourself. Your pupils dilate, your breath quickens, your immune system is even suppressed because like in it, when you're running away from a lion, there's no time to fight off bacteria. All your energy goes to your limbs to get the fuck out of there. Like you, you just want to run away, right. right? And then later, if you survive, <clears throat> you're able to um, repair your body. So uh, right now, we live in a, especially in like a city, we live in this constant state of stress of anxiety and so everyone is constantly under that state of survive and they're, they're never, never able to repair their bodies and with that you get a lot of um a lot of like sickness in their bodies right but what do you think how do you think like this affects that how people are anxious today like why is there so much anxiety today than there was, you know, th- even a hundred yeah. years ago. I think it's because our environment's totally different. We're built not to 
go to work and deal with politics day in day out and figure out your schedule for the next month or year we're built to hunt kill Mm -hmm. basically survive in packs of 20 to 50 people and uh there's a disconnect in how we live today and how our biology is designed i think people don't have those outlets of you know fulfilling actions day in and day out they have these very quick sprints of stimulation uh whether through social media or you know uh, entertainment whatever they can find but there's nothing as there's nothing that's replaced those fulfilling experiences that i think as humans we just were able to uh, we were able to accomplish on a daily basis whether it was finding food whether it was uh building fire just the simple things that would help you survive day in day out that were much more i guess i guess just yeah just much more primitive and just the very bare bones essentials rather than all of these crazy layers of politics and uh emotional health that we have to consider today and loneliness and just we i mean we live in society i mean look at the room we're in right now we're in a room that's everywhere you look is human knowledge this the behind these walls we are living right now in an artifact that is the result of human knowledge that isn't even within our own knowledge right are we able to build this room we could probably build something like it but there's a lot of like this television this computer this microphone i could not build any of this back then there used to be a time when this kind of these skills would be passed on from generation to generation nowadays we live in a world where the very homes we live in the cars we drive are built by people we don't even know and with knowledge we don't even have so a good question to ask yourself is like if the world ended how much of what you see in the room that you're in would you be able to build would you be able to build the light bulbs that light the room yeah because i sure couldn't so i think that that's the disconnect i'm talking about where we live in such a different world where we're not just an individual in a pack we are an individual in a very large collective that doesn't even communicate all that well right that you don't even have these deep social yes, bonds with totally and uh, before we get into that it's like a hive we're speaking about like the neocortex that that part of our brain the frontal lobe was developed to solve problems right it was like okay i'm gonna crack open this nut or build a fire or right exactly or um you know find and hunt some animal that's what we we would use that sporadically we wouldn't live in our frontal lobe just constantly firing yeah and some other things were were like um you just you'd focus on reproducing and that that's just like an instinctual thing and maybe right now we're just kind of neglecting some parts of our brain um just by completely focusing on the neocortex i think it's like option overload there's so many things to consider so many options so many paths you could take that we're just stuck thinking about everything all the time i think that's where meditation comes in really well is you can just sit with yourself and understand that the thoughts that you're having don't have to have an effect on your day-to-day well-being or your emotional state you know they can just be a thought and just let it go i think people need that a lot nowadays because we have so much time to just think and sit and yeah before you just had to do because if you don't do you die now you can just hey hey order some pizza online and it'll be here in 20 minutes you can just chill yeah Yeah, you you, you don't have to leave your house nowadays if you don't want to which is a terrible thing yeah that that definitely causes some disequilibrium and issues um and perhaps because of that like we don't have to work for our food we don't have to work for our shelter or anything this leaves like a deep yearning in a lot of people yeah. that's like this primitive drive to produce for yourself definitely and we've kind of stripped that away from individuals yeah those fulfilling accomplishments are gone now they're just you know uh, all these agricultural and industrial giants take care of that for us and all that's left for us is to figure out some purpose in your daily life that will be somewhat fulfilling i like teaching for that reason i like talking about this kind of stuff because it does fulfill me a little bit in in just being able to explain these really cool ideas to other people what's one what's one thing that's really frustrating nowadays is that i studied evolution in college and ecology and good luck talking to high schoolers about that stuff nowadays because a lot of people nowadays are thinking oh evolution that's a sham it's surprising but why i'm serious you go to a classroom today any high school classroom if it's not an ap class 
or an AP biology class, any kind of like really high uh, level students thinking about ideas that are well beyond their uh, their cohort, they will pretty much shut you down immediately because they think you're blabbering nonsense. The students will. Yes, they're. I mean, they're the kind of people that I think maybe some of them ironically just say that the Earth is flat, but then unironically they will bash evolution because you know we didn't come from monkeys. Good luck explaining to them that, no, you're right. We did not come from monkeys, but they are our cousins. Right? They don't understand what a cousin is. Yeah. They just don't get it. And, and try explaining that to a group of You've 20 actually students. You've experienced that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Wow. So, like, where does that problem even start? Like, is that something? social media. Social media. 100%. These people that can get together and spread all of these crazy ideas that catch on, like, wildfire. Like, the whole flat earth thing. People now... I think there are genuinely people out there now that think the earth is flat. Absolutely. It Why? Because it started as a meme. meme right? It's totally it started as a meme. meme. That's so yeah, true. Yeah, and now you have all these, you know, celebrities that are thinking it, which is stupid. Yeah. It, it's just, uh, it's like a, what's the, it's, an, it's they're echo chambers. It's like politics. People get stuck in their way of thinking and they only communicate with others that think just like them through Facebook and all of these groups that naturally filter right. out any dissenting opinions. Yeah, before there was like a, the filtration of, of okay, this idea is, is actually really shitty. We're not going to do that anymore. But now it's like, oh, I look up this idea online. Oh, dude, there's like 23,000 people in this group who are think just like me. Definitely. Like I'm just going to follow them, subscribe to them. And now your entire environment is you taking in the this knowledge that's so biased and one-sided. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's easy to get stuck in that because it's so comfortable like nobody wants to be wrong yeah nobody wants to be like oh th- I- i'm gonna explore some that's other person's opinions that's I-, I think that's one of the problems with mass communication and what it's enabled is we we're able to all agree upon these labels which kind of turns the dynamic into like again the sport analogy that i used about religion people just like being part of a team i'm vegetarian i'm vegan i'm uh i'm whatever i'm environmentalist right people love these labels they love being part of a team that they can root for and have someone to antagonize and in a way we we kind of cause that because we as a, as our society is as a technologically advancing group we have stripped people away of that fundamental desire or that ability to be a part of something right yeah like with social media people don't really have strong bonds like you c- try to fit the entirety of human social interaction odors body language eye contact behind a screen and call it instagram it's ridiculous it's just text oh i I have i have 4.3 thousand friends on instagram (laughs) so stupid yeah and in reality you have like two maybe oh yeah maybe three really close friends that's why i mean i don't have that many friends nowadays i could just kind of do my own thing i have i think i follow about 60 people on twitter and i have another 68 on Instagram like I don't follow anybody I don't even follow my old friends I don't like like you're not in my life why would I follow you why do I need to continue seeing all of these curated photos of people I lost contact with I don't think that's healthy right I think you should concern yourself with your circle of influence and your circle of power but beyond that all that's doing is giving you a skewed perspective of how other people are living that's, That's one so big true. problem. So I just avoid that altogether if I can. 4.3 million followers, you don't know a percent of them. Right? Why are they why do you care what they think? Yeah. You shouldn't. But sure, it brings you money. You can care about the money and, you know, if your followers are growing down, maybe there's going to be less money coming in. But then now you have to worry about all of these satisfying all of these people that you don't know, you don't really care about that have some say in your day-to-day emotional state. That's a terrible way to live your days uh where your emotional state is dependent upon keeping a group of people that you you don't even know happy and satisfied right that's in your circle of like you're talking about circle of influence that would be in your circle of concern even though you you have no influence in it so it shouldn't even yep. be part of that yep. it's just even though they call them influencers they don't i don't think they have as much influence as we think they do i really don't i think soon enough we're going to find out that all of these brands that are trying to get all maybe Kylie Jenner's that's probably different right because she has a huge influence over a lot of different PewDiePie uh, yeah PewDiePie exactly but I think for for most influencers I think we overestimate just how much influence 
quote unquote they actually have on right. the average consumer. It's, they have none. It's all based on clout on this like Yeah, it's like look how many followers I have. Well, and now you have this whole situation where Instagram's removing the likes. Well, how are, now how are you going to measure this Instagrammer's clout and their influence? How are you going to measure it now? Views, those are unreliable. And now you got bots that are following all, you know, millions of people. So it's like how do you how do you decide who's really got the influence here? How could there be like a better way of so interacting socially on such a large scale? How can there be a better way to interact socially on a large scale? I think you need a decentralized platform of some kind where there is no such thing as a follower or no such thing as likes. It's just a platform where you discuss things. There are no likes. There's just maybe you can add comments. Comment sections are good, right? It opens discussion. Right. But as far as likes go, I think you need to just get rid of that altogether. I think Reddit does an okay job of that. It's all right, yeah. do I don't know much about Reddit, though. I haven't used it in a long time. Upvotes are interesting, but it's a lot... Again, it filters out opinions of dissent, right? People that aren't popular, you're gonna, even if it's a good idea. Just because you're unpopular, true. you just go, ah, who is that guy? So, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's more like, what what was the best content? What will yeah. bring in the upvotes? I think Jack Dorsey mentioned something about a... Jack Dorsey is the CEO of Twitter. He mentioned something about decentralized Twitter. He wants to make it so that... Twitter as a corporation doesn't have any influence over who gets to tweet what. They can't uh, shut down an account for something they may or may not have said. Well, yeah, I think that that'd be beneficial because right now we're missing out on a lot of like potentially amazing ideas and shutting them out because they don't have the cloud of PewDiePie or of Tame Impala or whatever. Like if... Whatever song, this is just an example, whatever song Tame Impala puts out, like, I don't even care. That's probably, I'm like, dude, this song's awesome. But if it's like the same song, perhaps by some small artist that I don't know, automatically I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I'm more scrutinous yeah. of it. <laughs> so similarly, like our ideas of our society and like what we apply to our politics and our technology, they're for the most part based on this this um like abstract idea of of cloud of attention instead of really valuing the quality of something and i think it's so almost true. inevitable to to uh, avoid that because on, on a scale so grand if you want to connect people you're gonna drown out some people some people's voices are not going to be heard yeah there has to be some kind of hierarchy eventually forming you know i feel like hierarchies are natural there's a reason that harvard is considered to be really prestigious and it has nothing to do with the education they provide, although I'm, I'm sure it's great. It's more about like the filtration process of who gets admitted, right? The admittance process is very strenuous. Only the best of the best get in. So when someone graduates from Harvard, you know you're getting somebody good, not because of the education they received at Harvard, but because they got even got into Harvard. That's very difficult to do. Now, you know, people paying for Rip. giant buildings and getting their sons in, that's another problem. But I think... Eventually, like you said, yeah, we need a society where we focus on the quality of people's ideas, not the amount of likes. But also, we need, in order to really get down to the nitty gritty of an idea, you need to be able to lift it up to the attention of the masses. The only way you do that is by having a hierarchy of like CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. Those are the big three that people think of, I think. Maybe there's some other ones, political economists and all that stuff, but... They are at the top of the hierarchy. You can talk about a bunch of other little ones, but those are the ones that people go to for pieces of news most of the time. So I think eventually, even in those decentralized platforms, you'll have this hierarchy forming where a name has a lot of clout. Because as just humans are very, um, we're very good at picking out what we perceive as quality information, regardless of the quality of the idea that's being put out. Fox News is known to be a very trustworthy, even though it's not, I'm using quote unquote in my fingers here. Obviously, it's not trustworthy. We know that they are just full of crap. But for a long time, it's been considered to be by people of a certain political leaning to be very reliable. So sometimes it becomes so that brands and names have more clout than the quality of an idea. And I think that will always be the case. It's just a matter of giving those underdogs a chance to voice their opinion and their ideas that's the hard part i think 
nowadays because we have these giant echo chambers we don't allow each other to learn how to discuss politics to, with someone that we disagree with I, I was like that in college i used to get very heated about politics i was more left back then i'm more in the middle today but remember dylan cole yeah he's a good friend of mine we used to get in about it about uh politics you know he was more republican i was more democrat back then so we used to get into it we used to like you know have sh- shouting matches and stuff like that but that if i would didn't do that back then i wouldn't know today what i know that you need to sit back and not let emotions take over really understand that it's not what team you're on. It's what issue you're discussing. Discuss the issue and see where you sit on that issue in comparison to another person. So you see, you can see what you can learn from them. And they can see what you can learn from... They can learn from you. Right. That's but, the most... But if you're constantly just shouting at each other, nothing's going to be learned. Today, people don't have those types of discussions. I don't feel like... Unless you're on a college campus. People don't have those even discussions. So they don't know very, how to have a discussion. Yeah, even on a college campus, it's very... Uh, heated. People get heated. Heated and like you're expected to be part of this group. For instance, like I took this um, film or German film and literature or class like that. Something like that. It was about the Holocaust. And my TA was super like she would throw shade on Trump like every every discussion. And like That's it's annoying. not like I necessarily like Trump, but I like the that teachers are not supposed to talk about politics because they, they're an authority figure in that classroom and they have yeah. to be neutral. Because you make some people uncomfortable or, um, you know, you create these little, little clicks. So, right. um, I, don't think I didn't feel place. like I had, I, I would, I could get into a good discussion with her because she had the whole of the class on her side of whatever it was. Right. And on a college campus, it's the same. Like you're expected yeah. to be a part of the group. Um, th- th- that's like all communication skills. It's the ability to like sit back really listen to what the other person is saying express not, your not just under- be thinking about what you're going to say next exactly that's difficult that's really hard it's so hard so sit back listen express your understanding of it and perhaps uh, address areas of confusion and then go on to to discuss your point yeah. seek first to understand and then to be understood um that is like one of the most invaluable lessons and i think those skills have to be more stressed in our education system from like Definitely. the very beginning. Yeah. Right now, I don't feel like I ever, the, the, the only education I, I have gotten of that in my ad- academic career has been through some ambitious teachers. Indirect, right? It's never like, okay, I'm here to learn how to discuss issues. Exactly. It's often just like shooting the shit with the teacher or your friends and then you just learn how to communicate with each other. And it, at first you're terrible at it, but you slowly get better. I think one thing I'm starting to learn how to do is just giving time for somebody to just mull a moment over. I think people struggle with that where as soon as someone stops talking, they jump in and they're just ready to go. It's like, oh, you can you can sit back for a moment and just let your... You should give yourself a moment to collect your thoughts. Just because they stop talking doesn't mean you need to jump in right away. I feel like that's one thing I've noticed a lot where... Even though you know how to do that, if the other person doesn't, you you end up falling into that trap too. Absolutely. Because, because that's the only way you're going to get your your time in. I just did it right now. Like, absolutely. Well, because, well you're agreeing. Though. Yeah. You're not going to... You don't have the time to think because then you're not going to be able to say anything because the person just wants to say and yeah. talk, right? So they're just constantly shouting over you thinking you're just being silent. But it's like, no, man. I'm considering what you're saying. Give me a second to come up with something to tell you. Because I'm still mulling over your opinion. I don't quite understand it. I have some questions for you. Just I don't know which question to ask you. Yet. Yeah, I, I want to process it a little bit. Definitely. So that kind of reminds me of, there's this term in Dune, the book by Frank Herbert. That book is like incredibly complex. There's like a whole religion as well as a whole um, language in it. And one word is Spannungsbogen, I believe. And it sounds almost German, but it's like the sudden the, the deliberate pause between the desire to do something and the actual act of doing that thing so like if you want to have a pizza or in this case jump in and say your part of the argument uh, first like reflect on it so it's the, give yourself the pause and then right. go into it it's the space between the decision being made and the action being accomplished yeah. so like i decide i'm gonna go pee but the act of me deciding i'm gonna pee and and when I actually do pee, that's the yeah. That's the I would say more so reacting, 
Oh, reacting. Okay. Reacting to like, okay, I'm going to do this and putting in between reaction and action, putting a pause for reflection. Gotcha. That, that pause is huge. I feel like that's something that humans are like the only animal in the animal kingdom that can do that. That pause is where consciousness comes in. That's where we take in all these stimulus into and we process mm-hmm. it through our brains and our brain wants to react. It wants to react based on its instincts and on yeah. its like what's going on right now. <clears throat> but your ability to put your mindful thinking in the middle of that and really digest it yeah. and then speak, that is practicing consciousness. Right. And again, meditation is yeah. It really helps with that too. Do you ever think that people are living like animals because they don't give themselves that moment and they're just going off instinct? Absolutely. I feel like some people do. Some I've noticed that some of the some people that we consider to be really intelligent, like Elon Musk, uh, you know, all those big figures, I can't even think of them right now. But Bill Gates, all the big ones, you know, the big names, Warren Buffett even. Sure. If you ever listen to them speak in an interview, there are a lot of pauses. You can tell these people are genuinely thinking about your question. And they're not just reacting with the same answer they always get. Like politicians. Like politicians, man. Politicians, you could tell it's so scripted. That's why I, I, I if I did politics, I think I'd be really hated. <laughs> I think I think I'd be out of there really quickly. Yeah. I'd be a one-term president, one-term senator, one-term everything. That's yeah. I don't think I would ever want to do that. Yeah, I think if if so, I'd have to be like low level, local school district or something like that. But yeah, I don't think people really do give themselves the moment to just. Take a deep breath and think about the question to think about what discussion you're having, what issue you're discussing. People are just going off of instinct, going off of emotion. They are not being conscious. They're really not. Yeah. By ignoring that and not practicing the consciousness, you're just a fucking ape. You're you're no different from a smart ape. And that's an insult to apes. But yeah, I see. Even if you have your phone, a new iPhone or you're driving a nice newest car like if you're reacting based on your instincts you are an animal you know use your consciousness practice your yeah. consciousness if you were i mean if you, they were if you were a human that was constantly doing that and you allowed that to permeate the rest of your life you would be out there raping killing you would be doing all the things that we consider horrific right but we allow it in conversation we allow people to just be passionate and and just let their instincts go crazy and emotions out. Like, but what they don't realize... That's a really good point. You're still kind of... You're being animalistic. Relax. Let's discuss it like humans. That's like the last arena we really allow for that to happen, I think. That's so true. That's incredible. I never thought about that. Um, I guess even like road rage is a good example of the, a lack of consciousness. Like, Definitely. You're just reacting based on like, this guy fucking wronged my bloodline. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, freak out. Mm -hmm. Which is why, you know how they say when someone pisses you off on the road, don't flip them off because that's the first thing you want to do is just flip them off and say, you know, F you. Instead, just give them a thumbs down. I I think that's, I think it's powerful because it shows you thought about it for a second. Like, yeah, it bugged you. It's it's annoying to you, but you're not going to react the way they're reacting. You're not going to be animalistic like they are, instinctual and just in your head, not allowing yourself to just think about things for a moment you're just reacting on instinct instinct if you react by giving them a thumbs down it shows that you're not like them and you've taken a moment to really think about the situation and so they have it powerful yeah so when you give them a thumbs down you're just showing your disapproval of their behavior not so much reacting and reflecting exactly what they were throwing at you i think that's why it's so powerful i was thinking about that the other day yeah that's that's very true the it's like down. i'm disappointed in you and yeah. that in turn sparks that like oh i'm doing that that primal mechanism of like i'm doing something that's making me disliked in the group i need to change yeah but with something like road rage like screaming at them you are just screaming at them and like being violent and so they're going to react in a violent yeah, way right definitely uh i think that's one skill we lack too and just being able to discuss is when someone's being angry at you and maybe shouting insults or whatever being able to stay calm and collected and still unemotional like the other person is that's hard. That's one of the hard. Even teaching, dude. There's moments where I'm just like, ah, oh, this little punk or whatever. But I've learned to just take a moment to just like see them as a human, but at the same time understand that they don't know how they're being. So give them the benefit of the doubt 
and just like, hey, man, relax. It's okay. You can go to the restroom after they come back or whatever. You'd be surprised what people get angry yeah. with you about when you're substitute teaching. But yeah, it's it's really hard to be a human. And most people haven't really given much thought as to how we interact with each other. As a teacher, do you think we would, um, you think your students would benefit from having like a period of mindfulness or meditation? I think so. Well, I think not a period because even I struggle to sit down for 30 minutes. That's true. Yeah. I think, who was it? I forget who it is. Maybe it was like Sam Harris or something. He meditates for two hours a day. I want to Dan say Dan Harris. Dan Harris. That's who it was. You're right. Dan Harris meditates for two hours a day. And it's not like he's sitting in a room for two hours meditating for those straight two hours. No, he does five minutes in the morning when he wakes up. Then on the way to work, another five minutes. Then 10 minutes before lunch. Then another 30 minutes between then and, uh, I don't know, 3 p.m. So over the day, he has two hours. So what is that? 120 minutes of mindfulness. But he doesn't do them all at once. So I think kids need mindfulness moments, but that's what they need to be is moments. Not a full period because that, that would be chaos let me tell you it would turn into a social hour right but if you can get students to just calm down for a moment breathe listen to the sounds that you're observing let them be no you can't change them if you notice a thought just observe it let it go away and notice that it's just this ephemeral thing that has no influence over your life i think kids would definitely benefit from that That'd be, yeah. that I could be imagine awesome. that getting pretty chaotic with at least at social hours with like middle schoolers. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, like that, this is part of your education from when you are, when you first enter grade school, like this is something you from do. From the get go. Yeah. You're practicing this. And like personally, I didn't start practicing meditation until like a year ago. And even in a year, I have reaped the benefits of it and I've seen it manifest in my I've seen it reflected in my social interactions and in my academic habits and everything. So I can only imagine if we we started doing that from the the age when people are like starting to be able to converse and express ideas. Yeah. I think it would be a lot like brushing your teeth. People just consider it necessary. Like how are you you didn't meditate this morning, man? It's no wonder you're so grumpy or whatever, you know? I think if they did grow up with it genuinely, they would understand how valuable it is and they would be okay with doing it for 20 minutes in the morning with the, their peers. But if you just tried today to get students to be mindful for a minute, after 30 seconds, they would be farting noises coming out of people's mouths. There would be people chucking pencils up towards the styrofoam ceiling, getting them to stick. It would be chaos. At least at first, maybe if you were really talented and had some way of managing all these students from being dumb and, you know, just being students, really being 16 year olds, uh, kudos to you because that's a lot of students to manage. It's all those adolescents, those oh, devils. Yeah. Especially middle schoolers, man, they're the worst. Yeah, I, I remember being a middle schooler. Um, yeah, I think it would be like a total education. Like, okay, this is a 10 mm-hmm. year plan to completely fix this yeah or I think include this definitely and i think one big reason it would fail is because kids don't realize how short life it, life is and how ephemeral the very moment they're in will be in a in a year you like a lot of seniors they don't realize that once you graduate that's it man they're still behaving as if this is my life you know i can fuck off i can not go to class and things are gonna be fine but as soon as you graduate, you're screwed. None of that system is going to be there. You don't get to go to lunch at noon just because it's lunchtime, right? You don't get to just walk out of whatever it is you need to do. Like, You're kind of privileged in a way to be in the public school system because you do have a structured environment where regardless of your grades, you're going to receive a lunch hour. You're going to receive, you're going to be interacting with people just like you. You're going to receive some kind of education. If you pay attention, it can be a really good one. So... Because they don't understand how short-lived that's going to be, they don't really care for the moment. So sitting down and really just letting the moment sit, just sit, sitting in the moment, it doesn't make sense to them because to them, they don't see it as a finite thing. It's like that. Do you remember the, the uh, meditation we had this morning? Yeah. Sam Harris was talking about how every moment is a piece of a finite line of those moments. So you don't know when the last time is, when the last time will be when we pet our dog Fluffy. Like, this could be the last time right here. Tomorrow I come over, he's dead. 
we we understand that we've grown up knowing well i think much more in the last like five years for me i've been able to just understand that things move so fast because even in high school actually high school not so much for me because i didn't appreciate high school that much but college once college was over man i didn't know what nostalgia was until i graduated college and now i even today i could sit down for a moment and look back and feel that nostalgia I don't think you understand what nostalgia even is when you're in high school. I don't think you understand how valuable those moments are. You don't understand what the good times are. You really don't. Not until you've had enough of them and had the best of them can you look back and be like, man, I miss those times. And just value each moment even more because this could be the best of times right now. I could be looking back five years from now and thinking, man, back when I was living with my parents, those were good times. So you just have to live in it now because us with more experience know this is going to be short-lived i could be moving next year the year after that and i may be missing today and in 60 years i'll probably be dead i'll be 86 that's a lot it's really old i probably won't even make it to 80 you know given male lifelines uh or life expectancy so i think yeah i think that's a big part of why students are the way they are they don't understand the value of the moment as Andy from The Office said, I wish there was a way to know you were in the golden ages when it is the golden age. Um, how do you think you could implement that and like actually get people to realize that, even if they are you know, adolescent high schoolers? Because that's, like you said, I probably don't even know what nostalgia is. Like I, I say, oh yeah, I, I, I reminisce on some moments, but yeah, like I'm sure it just gets more and more mm-hmm. intense as you as you get older how could you make them feel that or make them appreciate the moment i don't think you can from a very young age i think the only way you can actually actually uh, i don't know if it's learned obviously i think it's more of a just something happens with age you just need to experience more i think if you because i think as a student especially in public school not so much in college because that's a decision you've made but you have to go to college or you have to go to high school you have to go to middle school you're just you're just there for the ride like you don't really have a choice but when you finally get into those really big life changes where you have to decide which path to take and you have to live with the consequences of those decisions, you will begin to actually appreciate the moments you accumulate and experience. If you don't have the experiences, there's no way you'll ever, you'll ever understand the value of them, right? It's not until you have those valuable experiences and look back on them that you're like, damn, that was, that was awesome. And I'm sure... High schoolers have that to some extent, but I mean, how would you describe nostalgia? I'm just curious because I was thinking about it just now. Right. How would you describe nostalgia? How do you feel when you're feeling nostalgic? What well, you would describe as nostalgic? So I would say two things come to mind. They both have to do with marching band. One was my 2018 tour with Pacific Crest Drum Corps. Um, just because like, I, I think I remember um, just being in like the Missouri 100% humidity. It's like 105 degrees out. And we're just out there for hours at a time, repping like the same parts of our show. And in the moment, you're like, dude, like I'm fucking tired of this. I want to get, I want to go home. Um, Definitely. And the instructors, they are aware of that because they they did the same thing, and they always said like, enjoy it. Like you know, like you're gonna miss this. This is gonna be just another story that you have. And I knew that, but in the same way, I wasn't able to really appreciate it. Yeah. Until now, where I'm back in my house, like I have a bed, I have meals anytime I want. Um, now I can really think like, wow, that that was a fucking awesome experience. I miss those Definitely. friends. I miss being able to wake up and like do everything with them. But um, describe the feeling of nostalgia. Can you do that for me? I'm just curious because I I mean I have a description I can give you for what I feel when I look back on my college days. What does it feel like? It feels like I want to reach out and grab, grab it. Like I reach for, like it's like I'm a yearning from my heart. Like yearning, I want to be there. It's it's like a mix of happiness and sadness. I think it's like man, those were awesome times, but you're like sad that it's over. That's what it's like for me. Like I'm looking back, and I can, I can, I still remember what it's like to feel like you're in college and all that stuff, and you look back and. You wish you were there again. You wish you knew how awesome that feeling is 
maybe in, you know hindsight's twenty twenty, but there's no way of knowing when you're in it. It's just stress. You know, you got gray hairs. You got midterm next week. It's just stress. But when you look back upon it and everything turns out fine, you're like, man, that was fun. The challenge of having to go at 7 a.m. You got a final for physics. In hindsight, it's kind of exciting. But in the moment, it's stressful as hell. So I think there's no way, like Andy was saying, there's no way or you, you wish you knew when the golden ages were, were when you're still in them. But there's, I don't think there's any way to actually do that. Right. There's no way. I think it's not until after it all happens that yeah. you feel that. In order to get the the full experience of what mm-hmm. it is. Um, but I would say there's definitely a way to still, even though you're not able to completely fathom what is gonna mm-hmm. what it's going to feel like, there's still a way to be aware of it. Definitely. And yeah, with that awareness sure. comes an appreciation for the moment. For sure. Just take a moment to realize like, this is probably golden golden age. Like everyone talks about their college days. You're talking about your college days. And the majority of you people listening are in college. You're in your golden days right now. Hey, you know, they might be like an 82-year-old right now. That's like, true, These right? guys are cool. How are they doing this? It's being channeled into my ear. This is crazy. What is this machine? But yeah, I know what you mean. It's, uh, life's hard, man. Change is just the biggest thing you can embrace. It's the best thing you can embrace. Because if, you, if you're constantly fighting changes then you're just going to be the same person you were in high school and you'll never evolve you'll never grow you'll never be able to experience new things you'll just be stagnant and be probably depressed so don't be sad that changes happen embrace them but at the same time value every day that you're given in a certain situation because it could be that when it's over you're gonna miss it but you don't know you won't know that until it's gone i remember i had a very almost traumatic experience uh, with a Wim Hof session which is this breathing <laughs> exercise and like look it up look it up yeah Wim Hof three rounds YouTube um, it'll change your life it'll open your consciousness so one time I did this and I got what I was convinced was ego death like I just completely felt desolation and this certain like definitiveness that I was dead like I was gone and that's all I could feel and that feeling lasted three days. And I remember approaching you, Carlos, about this. And you said change is the only constant. And I was like... Which is also an oxymoron. Yeah. Right? But yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, but it's true. And at first, like, I'm like, okay, I don't really get it too much. But as time goes on, you're like, yeah, like, this is... Change is the only thing that's going to keep being constant. So it's the only yeah. thing that's constantly happening. Yep. And so instead of resisting it might as well just smile and embrace it definitely yeah and i think death is probably the best change you could embrace instead of i mean obviously it's hard to not be sad about someone's death especially somebody close to you but the best thing you can do is like your college days remember it fondly but don't be sad that they're gone just embrace the moments you did have with them and that hopefully you still do have with them like fluffy here Right, Fluffy? But, uh, yeah, death will be the hardest change you'll, I think any of us will ever have to deal with. And I'm not talking about your own death because who can feel nostalgic about their own death, but others people's death. I think that's the hardest thing we'll ever deal with, in my opinion. But it's also, to me, the most fascinating thing. Uh, I don't think I've ever really lost anyone that I've felt truly torn up about yet. Uh, which, is, which is kind of sad to say for anyone that has died in my family. But, I mean, my parents are alive. I love my grandparents, but, I mean, I kind of expect them. They're, they're old, so uh, I think, that, honestly, I think the biggest one that's going to hit me super hard is Fluffy, dude. When Fluffy dies, I'm going to be so sad. Yeah, dude, this, is, this dog's been awesome. Yeah, we've had this dog for, what, 15 years or so? I don't know. The my sixth, sixth grade, dude, for me. That's crazy. Yeah. He's still kicking, dude. He's a little blind and deaf. It's kind of in limbo, I would say, but... Sleeps a lot. But yeah, I think death is freaking awesome. I think... I, I saw a video, actually, about it. It was... Um, I forgot who it was. But the title was... That sleep... Like, I think it was like, Sleeping is just death being shy. Seen it. It's That's awesome. Exerbia. Exerbia. Was it Exerbia? So good. Dude, dude, yeah, that was a good video. And so I saw that, I was like, oh, he's so right. Death really is kind of like this space between consciousness and just death not the lack of consciousness because i mean how often do you really remember what goes on in your sleep 
almost ever. Yeah. It doesn't feel like eight hours. It feels like 30 minutes sometimes. Maybe if you're waking up a lot, it feels like four. But yeah, I think that's one of the most fascinating things about just living is just dying too. That's what gives living its beauty. Yeah. Um, I was, I went to this yoga retreat. Um, I think it was in August and it was like a three day thing in Julian, which is Julian, California, which is close to San Diego. And, um, it was three days of being with this spiritual like mentor who just guru. had a bunch of this guru. Yeah. He had a bunch of wisdom and at one point we were talking about what is unconditional love. And, um, speaking about death, he told us a story that if uh, of Buddha, Buddha's on this mountain and he, in this story, he has a son. Let's just say that. So one day his son dies and everyone expected Buddha to be super, torn torn apart and when they looked at him buddha was like so okay with that he was so happy with it why because he being his enlightened person was able to immediately get past the attachment of it and just be like wow like i wholeheartedly appreciate our moments we had together i love him entirely and now he's gone and that is a fact and i'm just going to be comfortable with that and embrace it and yeah. so he's able to just completely move on. And granted, us mortals, um, we are not able to do that. And it's very difficult to do that. But just approaching that and just thinking about that. Just bearing um, the weight of it. It makes you more prepared for something like that. Yeah. I think um, I think death's kind of a beautiful thing. I mean, I don't want to live forever, man. Do you want to live forever? I would, I would do Life same. is hard. De- death is easy. Death will be the final thing you experience. But I think it's going to be kind of cool. I think life is harder than any death will ever be. I mean, we like we were talking about being like just being an emotional being from day day to day. Everyone has the struggles. Sometimes we feel sad for who knows what reason, right? But death, there's so, there's something so beautiful in that finality of it, and that transition to the unknown, and yet so familiar that I think will be really comforting. It's almost like going home, in a way. Yeah, I think I'm not afraid of death personally. I think my past experiences have helped me with that, but I think I think that's something to look forward to in a way. To release. A release from being <sighs> like a sigh. Yeah, it is a sigh relief, it really is. Not I'm and that sounds kinda of sad, like yeah. I'm not depressed here. <laughs> but I really do think that if anybody tells you that life is easy, they're lying to you. Life is hard. Death is easy and the sooner you embrace like the Buddha said, life is suffering. The sooner you embrace that and just accept that, the happier you're going to be because you'll understand like, hey, not everything needs to be okay. Not everything is going to be okay. My dog is going to die. I'm going to die. My parents are going to die. And that's okay. That's the way things should be. There's a Latin phrase. I think it's Latin. Amor fati. I think we discussed this before. We did a mantra. Did we? Oh, yeah. Uh, basically, it means love your fate, I believe, is the translation. And what that basically wants to say is whatever happens, your destiny, your fate, just love it. Whether it means you lost a limb, love your fate, love the path that has been maybe not chosen for you, but that the path that you've chosen for yourself. So just love everything about the aspect of your life, whatever aspect that may be, as negative as it may seem. Embrace it, change it if you can, but do not feel like you do not deserve it. Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck as the... Uh, What's his, what was, do you remember that? David Goggins, right? No. Some, well, I'm soldier, sure David right? Goggins said that, but at, at my graduation, oh. there was a guy there that, that was his, that was his um, advice for us, just embrace the suck. That's right. And that, yeah. that goes, that feeds into the same bit of yeah, wisdom. Definitely. What was that, that Latin phrase? It was like, remember that I must die or something like that? Oh, uh, that's uh, uh, Mor- Mori Morte. Uh, I forget what it is. There's Mori Morte. I can look it up real quick. I'm pretty sure it's Mori Morte or something like that. There's beauty in, in recognizing that you're going to die. Like, I think Alan Watts on YouTube, if you look up Alan Watts, um, death, there's death, there's probably uh, going to be some video. Memento Mori. That's what it is. Remember that I must die. Memento Mori. Yeah, it's Memento basically Mori. saying that um, it's a reminder of the inevitability of death. Developed with the growth of Christianity, which em- emphasized heaven, hell, and salvation of the soul in the afterlife. Interesting. But yes, Memento Mori, just remember that you will die, which I think is probably one of the most constructive thoughts I've ever had, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, Alan Watts, he talks about why everyone should, at one point in their lives, really sit down and ponder death and just think about it. Because once you do that, you're in a way liberated from the burden that is fearing it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, death is cool. Embrace it. Amen. Love it. Glad it's there. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, and I think death is crazy because it's like a reset on, eventually it's a reset on everybody. I mean, how many people living today were here 200 years ago? Nobody, zero. Zero. Right, and those are the same people that built the very society we're living in. So we're living in ghost town, really. This place was built by people we don't even know. By place, I mean the, the culture, the traditions. Obviously, we've continued them. We've continued to build upon what they built. So it's amazing what we've done here because, I mean, if you follow back far enough, who knows who we're related to, man? That's one of the coolest things about, uh, I guess, death is the ability to go through and see who you descended from and just the fact that you are a, they are a part of you as much as you are a part of them and the fact that you are just the continuation of this long line of genetics. That's the selfish yeah. gene, as Richard Dawkins called it. They just pff, propagate my genes. Yeah. So they... do we ever really die? I guess it, the only real death is like genetic death. When, when those copies of your genes cease to exist in a population, that's really the only death there is. Everything else is like a program. A transference of energy. Yeah, or like a, an expression of that code. But the, the code is the very thing that is immortal. Absolutely. The expression of the code, that expression is your consciousness. Mm-hmm. So we were, speak, we, we were talking about um, there's these horses um, that people are selling in South America, I believe. There's a sport called po- polo, which is pretty much like soccer, but you're on a horse. And much like we sell or Apple sells iPhones 11s, it's like, okay, this is the iPhone. These are the specs. This is the screen size. People are like, okay, I want to buy that phone. They do the same thing, but with a horse. They're like, okay, we have this horse. These are the races. It's one. This is its. Um, it's like genetics. Uh, this is these are its so they're ancestors, them. and they clone this one horse. And people could be like, oh, I want a copy of that horse, just like I want that iPhone 11. And what the spooky thing is, is that when people are using these this horse or this copy of that horse. They behave, or it behaves in a very similar way to the original horse. Why? Because it's literally a copy of its of his DNA. It's the same genetic being, and so its decisions and its consciousness is going to be a reflection of that. Yeah, it's it's going to be the only difference is the nurture side of it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. It's it's going to be Scared. deciding like, okay. What? How do? How am I gonna react in this situation? Am I gonna run or am I gonna fight? Like, and that all is somehow decided by our genes. Like, our genes are telling us like this is what we're supposed to do. We're just the manifestation of the genetics that have imprinted upon us, basically. But what's cool is genetics change over time. That's freaking awesome. Good thing they do too. Otherwise, we'd still be these slack-jawed giants eating bamboo or whatever we were eating back then. Variation. Yeah. Generation's nice. Uh, it's, it's cool that you can have two people have sex, sexual reproduction, and have a new individual out of those two people that is a combination of those two genetic codes instead of a simple copy. It's pretty awesome. Right. So on the topic of evolution, for the past four billion years, terrestrial organisms have evolved biologically but in the past hundred years let's say we have entered an age of technological advancement how do you think technology and its increasing rate of growth is going to affect biological reproduction and it's very slow process i think it could go either two ways i think you could either have the point where technology is so grossly advantaged over biology that people prefer the mechanical cyborg limbs and eyeballs and all that stuff to the point where it's replaced all biological aspects of a of an organism it's no longer really an organism could go that way i think it's more likely that 
and I'm sure there will still be some kind of co-evolution going on where technology does influence the evolution of a specific organism. But I think what's likely to happen is instead of it completely overtaking the evolution and just sidetracking it in an organism, it would almost be like a supplement. It would basically allow, it would probably continue to evolve very similarly to how we would have evolved regardless of the technology. Obviously, it's a different environment, so it wouldn't be identical. But instead of it determining how our genetics change, it's just going to be this physical change that occurs after uh, you've already grown up. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be like... I don't think we will be having... I don't think we'll be designing genes as as, as much as we think we will be. I really don't. I think it's going to be a lot like... Um, and I'm sure we will do pretty amazing stuff with genetics regardless. I'm sure it'll have a huge shift. It, it will shift our genetic lines somehow, but I don't think it'll be as severe as we make it out to be. How, what could be something? Give me an example of that. Like in terms of like, uh, the shift of, of it, of like technology complementing the genes. What do you mean by that? So genetics change according to the environment in which they are they're in right yeah the environment basically selects it doesn't obviously it's unconscious it's not like picking the best genes the thing the genes that survive are the ones that reproduce and therefore pass hereditarily they are you know hereditary it's passed on to the next generation so it continues to live that includes mutations that may arise the environment selects against the genes that don't match up with the environment very well so what's going to happen is we're going to have this world where now we're really technologically influenced that's going to have some kind of influence on the genetics that we pass down. Oh, I see. It's going to, inevitably. There's no way to avoid it. But I don't think we are suddenly going to become machines. I really don't. I think we'll be this biological and mechanical uh, organism where we do have some, some aspects of our biology will be replaced by mechanical mechanisms and uh, technology but overall we're still going to be these biological beings that reproduce sexually that we're not going to become Superman that you know they just have these pods and all of these ancient genes that they continue to uh, create individuals with they stopped having sex I don't know if you know that Superman they no, said, yeah, sexual reproduction so Superman was actually the first what was his name Kal-El the story says that he was the first uh, Kryptonian that was sexually birthed so like sexually he's a created singer. yeah he's he was the result of actual sex rather than just a machine taking an old genetic code recombining it on its own and then coming about he was a natural birth so I, I, don't, I don't think we'll ever get to the point where we have unnatural births i really don't okay so what if we did get to the point where our entire biological organism was replaced by either like artificial intelligence like coding or these like mechanical parts and at the same time we still maintained our consciousness and we were still observing and interacting with the world in a very similar way would that still be considered life what is life i mean if life is only organic then it's kind of limited but i think i i mean if you look down at the very the simplest structures in any organism, it's like proteins, which kind of behave like machines. So I guess life life to me is any combination of materials that can observe its environment and react. I'm not saying a cyborg is going to be life, but eventually you will have, if once they pass that uncanny valley, you'll have, I think we'll get to the point where we'll have artificial intelligence in combination with physical aspects and features where you can hardly tell that it isn't alive i think we'll get there and so at that point we'll have to make a decision is it alive and eventually i think a lot of people are going to come around to say yeah it's basically alive like, right it's he's been living with me for like bicentennial man i don't remember if you remember that robin <laughs> williams he was a robot that wanted to be human so he got all of his parts replaced with these um semi-organic organs that helped him function almost like a human and eventually he actually died and on his deathbed he was pronounced human so i think when it comes to life what we consider life we're gonna have to broaden our definition of that because if things do go down that 
very strong technological path, it'll only be inevitably Absolutely. very difficult to simply label something life, not life. But yeah, I think, um, I think from the very beginning, like from when life sprung up, we were, we went from these elements to full fledged living things. Yeah. And I would obviously categorize that as life. And then over the past 4 billion years of evolution, we've gotten to this point at a point where we're very complex. And of course, we are also expressions of the cosmos. We're also life. Yes. We're also the universe looking out into itself. So I think even if we leave these biological vessels and enter um, these mechanical things, if we maintain our consciousness, we are regardless a an expression of the universe and therefore it is a version of life. So you're saying that we are expressions of the universe, the machines are an expression of us, so indirectly they are also an expression of the universe. No, directly, because the machines are observing the universe and they are also made up of the same right. elements of the universe and therefore they are also... Going back to Alan Watts then, everything is the... You are the universe. This wall is the universe. We are it. As I-T, capital I-T. We are it. This is it. This is everything that you see. This is God. This is everything that will be and ever will be. You're it, folks. All right, I think we should cut it there. Thank you for listening. Um, goodbye. That was fun. That was fun. Thank you.